it, it's I mean, so, dude, look at what we're talking about. All we have here on this table is antlers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and every podcast, they were pulling them out. Oh, this one and that one. Oh, oh yeah. we found this. I mean, There's Spider-Man right there. Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50 pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer and that since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hey on our podcast <laughs> episode 110 I feel like we just started 23. I'm I guess out of fingers for that yeah, one. Yeah, 110. Holy balls, man. That's deep. A lot of pods. Yeah. We've been doing this oh. for two years. Yeah. Wow. We'll have to look back and see when the first one dropped. But there's uh, sometime in January, I bet, of 2020. Was that COVID? That's no, 2021. Yeah. No, 2020 was COVID. Yeah, 2021 is when we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because 23 now. So two years. Math. Jesus. Three years. Are we supposed to have flying cars by now in 2023? <laughs> yeah, it was 2020. We're, we're overdue. Damn it. There's the hoverboard. Dude. Right, right. This shit. Wow. Anyways, it is January 5th. If you're listening to this, it is well, January 16th. I think that sounds right. 16th. Yeah. We were right. just at ATA right. show. Seventeen. 17th. January 17th. Which means our math was wrong on the last one. I'll cut that out. They'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It <laughs> was the 10th. Blame me. So uh, if you listen to the last one with Rendell Eric, we were heading to ATA show. Now we're back from ATA show, which we probably hung out with our guest at ATA show. Mm-hmm. See that? They're not sponsoring. There's us just either. a lot that happens between all these things. So, Well, January is such an interesting time frame because like, I'm still, it is the 5th, so we're, we're running a double here uh, on the 5th. Like, I still have... <laughs> 10 days or so of deer season left in Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Ohio's super long. I know I want to do, I've got my trad bow. I just want to kill a deer or at least sling an arrow at a trad, at a deer with the trad bow, which probably will not connect, but you know, practicing it all every day. How's it working out for you? Feeling better. Yeah. I'm the hard part is, is like, you know, obviously it's archery hunting goal is to get the deer close like 15 and in i'm i feel real good yeah for whatever reason like i don't know if it's just because you know that extra seven or eight like i've been shooting a 22 23 and i'm less consistent like i'm i'm most of them are still for sure kill shots but like i just i can't group nearly as well yeah. Um, versus that reaction. Like I've got, I feel like I've got that muscle motion down at like 15 and in where it's just like well, automatic. Your, your aiming system just isn't there. It's, it's like oh. shooting open sights versus a scope. Like you don't have a, well, it's, and, a, it's a much broader. And that's it. Like at 15 and in, like I, where I kind of <laughs> anchor, I guess, in terms of motion, like I, I know where I'm looking, bow fly, arrow flies there, right? 
obviously at 23, there's a drop. And so when I do that same muscle motion and aim, that arrow drops significantly. So I almost have to aim high, which is completely like out of my right. brain. Cause you're, I mean, it's all one motion and now I'm aiming high at 23. Like, yeah. so I think I'm just going to stick to 15 and in this year. Yeah. You know, if it's past 15, don't shoot it, yep. you know, and I'll set up in some of the stands where I'm tight to them. Um, but yeah, it'd be awesome. I feel real. Set with it. I feel really good about that arrow build. I've got one over I'll here. Check it out. After. Not with the broadhead on, but I mean, you I've got, got a, you got a target here. No, mm. I've got 250 grains up front though. That baby <clears throat> is is slinging. Yeah, very nice. So, anyways, good for you. Got that. I will sit back and learn from your mistakes and come in when the <laughs> yeah when it's ripe for the. We bedroom. also are starting. I'm thinking management projects. Actually, I just sold one of my tractors and about to sell my other one and an upgrade. Uh huh. So that's so I can pull that no-till drill. Can I count on you to come out and help us burn? Sure. When are you burning? February sometime. Ooh, yeah. When the weather's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll we'll come you back. Help, help me hold them to that. We'll come back to that next pod. Neither of us will have eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, do you want to burn? We'll put you on a uh, we'll put you on a backpack sprayer. I've never done it, but I would try. Me neither. We'll, we'll have like sharp, sharpie markers. We'll learn, learn together. Well, like, yeah, got a little hot there for a while. <laughs> Dude, you want to hear something real funny? She probably won't hear this either. My So my wife gets her eyebrows done mm -hmm. from time to time, which I don't know why. She has beautiful eyebrows. And I mean, I don't know. I'm not beautiful. sure what the point is, but they darken them in. Yeah. And the first day that she comes back, they are black. Like black. Uh, yeah. yeah. And she's like, they'll they'll die down. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd go shampoo those bad boys right now. <laughs> I don't know, man. Let her do what she wants to do. Uh, Keep her happy. Whatever she says, I'm going hunting. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyways, we've got a guest today, TJ Eats. Yeah. Uh, variety of businesses, I <laughs> yeah. guess he's I'm, got his hands in, right? I'll try not to... In fact, I'll let him do most of it, but but for sure involved with uh, Rack Hub, mm -hmm. you know, which is the company for displaying like shed antlers. I think there's mm -hmm. uh, he's got a, a plethora of options there, uh, as well as a few companies that he's sold. And I think as of recently, as we've gotten to know TJ better, uh, have found out that he's you know involved in a lot of other companies as well from a, a design and a creative standpoint. Very cool. Um, and so uh, before I butcher that, you've got further, Pretty Boy on a. I do on a rack hub, right? I do, yeah. I think that they it's it's a really awesome uh, mm -hmm. way to display antlers that they make, and uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let him fill us in more on that. And uh, but otherwise, he's just a, a really good dude that we've gotten to know over the past couple of years, and, and hopefully have some some cool stuff looking uh, to look forward to. So sounds good. We'll get him on. Bring him in. Morning, guys. How's it going? All right, brother. How are you? Excellent. See, excellent. See, look, he's got a display behind him, just uh, like that. That's what we we're talking about. Just it's convenient, you know, conveniently I, placed. Oh, well, I was, was going to say, like, how do we, how do we, like, describe what it looks like when we were talking about that? Oh, there, there you I'd go. There's it. an opportunity. Yeah. There's an option. I'm not. I mean, I'm not Vanna White, but mm -hmm. is that you get it? Is that one uh, a set of sheds, or is that a uh, cut off from a skull cap? That one is actually a set of three-year-old sheds from a buck we called Heavy. Mm. Um, I wonder and then why. My wife ended up, yeah, exactly. My wife ended up getting him. Oh, is that the same buck? Year. Yeah. So Whoa, here's, dude. You could see. Yeah. Uh, put on a little bit. Oh, he's wow. missing. Yeah, that big. He's missing a foot, foot of beam here. Damn. That came out, so we'll get that fixed. Busted it off. I actually had him in bow season five six days before wit got him he came running by me because he was spooked by a vehicle driving by 
And uh, so we stayed after him and she ended up getting him open to opening day a gun here in Indiana. So Very he's a stud. Cool. So I, uh, I caught and I, I'm only tying this in cause I think we talked to Warren about it. So you said you're going to fix that, that broken. Yeah. Sensitive normally I leave subject, it. right? Normally I leave them kind of how they are, but dude, it was, it was, it like was his character this year. He yeah. Foot long extra beam. <laughs> Yeah, so I feel we like, gotta fix it. I feel like you have to, right? I'm I'm of yeah. the opinion where, like, if something was definitively busted, that was like a, a true character. I'm not talking about like you know coming a little bit off of a brow. I feel like you kind of have to. Yeah, yeah. I've got some deer that you know G3s are chipped or yeah. broke a kicker off, and I got all those all natural. But this one, this is the first that yeah we gotta fix it. That seems we right. Just have to. Dude, my dad shot a, a 10 point a couple of years ago. I remember that yeah. deer. <clears throat> and so, <laughs> I don't know. The one, one day, he was a perfect clean 10 point. He's probably like a mid-50s deer. And then the day that he shot him, it was by had busted off like three times. It was just like a be- it was like a beam. Yeah, just straight across. And he was like, "Could we could we fix that, right?" Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and so he, he has it. The whole right side's like 50 inches back on. Totally remanufactured. Yeah. But, Did he fix it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Does it look good? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it looks great. That's funny. I mean, I know a lot of people talk about that. They're like, oh, you know, that's just how I shot him. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, if you know what that deer is, you've got pictures of it. That's how you're hunting it. You know, it's obviously an unfortunate thing if you bust it off, but that's, you know, and that's it's, it's in the intention. If you do it because you want to, ju- you want to show people with that deer, like you want to give him sure. credit for what he was versus, oh, I want him to look perfect. Yeah. You know, there's a difference in mentality there. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, what's your, what's your opinion? A uh, situational. Situational. I did it with uh, Pretty Boys. There, yeah, where a, he had squirrel gnaws. Yeah, there's a deer in Kansas yeah. that I missed. Whatever in 2019, mm-hmm. we found his shed in 20. It was his 2020 antler, and so it was bigger than the year I missed him, and and it was awesome. But he was he was chewed up a little bit. His main beam, like enough that I was like, it's a bummer that that he got chewed on. So I sent that off to uh, Antlers by Klaus. Uh, who he's, you know, big name, does a ton of the Bass Pro stuff and replicas, and he did an awesome job. And so mm-hmm. I've got it mounted on a single, uh, what do you call it, the, the single rack hub? Yeah, the RH1. The yep. RH1 right next to, like, a, I've got a big spread of the river bottom in Kansas where we found it and stuff, and it's, it's my Kansas wall. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately you kind of, as respect to the deer, like if it's That's a it. significant break— you know, or like that, it's just details. Like you kind of owe it to the deer of like, that's where it is. And I mean, if you're going to just throw it in a pile or something, then probably not, but that's um, how I feel about it. Maybe a little bit to do with number of times too. Like if this deer had one time (laughs) broken off, I'm like, he's only got eight. I need to give it back to him. Yeah. I need to give it back to him. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Well, TJ, we appreciate you jumping on, man. Is Indiana season still going on or are you, you guys done? We're done. Nope. Late bow just concluded really? here the first of the year. And wow. so, yep. We, Jared and I chatted on the side, I think, but I was chasing, I had a buck I was after and he got shot in October mm-hmm. by the neighbor. Mm-hmm. We moved everything and got on heavy again. This one got with him. Then I had a 165 inch eight to chase <sighs> and, uh, the neighbor to the North, he didn't, I was at the Southern end of his home range, like yeah, I'd get him here and there once a week, once every two, not predictable at all. But the neighbor to the north got him, but he's like us. He loves it. He's ate up with it. So I was happy for him, but I kind of checked out after that one. Yeah. 
got shot. He was a six and a half year old. He went 164 and six eights. Dude, we had his match set last year at 169. He just dropped a G4 and a kicker. But wow. What, you know, one of those deer that's just like, holy crap, why we do it, you know? But yeah, um, yeah I was glad that, you know, Whit and I were able to get on yeah. this guy. That was awesome. But um, a couple other hunters. And deer spank me this year. So that happens though. That will happen. It's crazy, man. You know, we talked about <laughs> it um, probably over the last few podcasts of some of these deer that we chase. And, you know, I still, you know, as, as much as it's like, Hey man, I really wanted to kill that deer. I still would rather somebody kill it and know about it. than like, they just disappear. You know, that, that unknown Preach. is, is yeah. freaking torture, yeah. man. Um, sure is man. hundred yeah. percent agree with you, Jeremy. 100%. You just don't know, you know, and that's what just, it, it, you follow these deer for so long and you, you put so much into them and yeah, I, I'd rather the neighbor say, yep, you know, I killed him. Here he is. Then like, what happened? Like I've got several deer in the last couple of years that, you know, giants that I've hunted and it's like, man, if somebody killed him, I have to hear about it. And so now you're just like, the last thing you want is like, hopefully, you know, he didn't er end up with like a bullet in the belly and is dead in a ditch somewhere and nobody gets to enjoy it type of thing. Yeah, that's worst case scenario, but it's, it's, it's horrible when you're hunting a deer that's dead and been dead all season, but you, you know, you're hunting on the trail cam hopes and dreams and a few sightings. So well, yeah, yes. it's always best to know. That's why we uh, try and keep, you know, fences make good neighbors, but we try and over communicate and be happy for whoever gets what deer that's mm -hmm. part of it. You know, we don't own them. So that way we can know, you know what's going on out yeah. there in the woods. And if somebody got one and was successful so we can enjoy it with them too, you know, cause these four year olds and up are hard to come by up here in Indiana. At least I know that you, you know, you, you guys know, know with it. where we're yeah. at. <laughs> yeah. It's same about anywhere hard to come by. So, yeah. It, it's interesting. You said that cause we were talking with Rendell Eric earlier about, um, kind of like the hunting, the ghost thing, you know, and Rendell is kind of, he's, you know, he'll laugh at this when he hears it. We're like, Oh, but Rendell's in Iowa. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> but in, in the same breath, you know, he's very much like, if I get a picture of that deer, like a picture of that deer, like I'll start hunting. I'm like, that's all I need to know. And like, you know, I get that to a point, but it's also like, especially as the season goes on and you, let's say that deer starts to ghost you. This, this is a great example, I think for, for this conversation, oh. um, you, you know, doubts start running. Like, what if, like, did he get hit by a car? Did somebody else kill him? Like, did he just pick up and move? Like, and you know, there's only so much time in the season to where it's like, how much time do I commit to a deer that frankly, I don't have recent information on. And I think that probably bugs all of us. You know, and then what do you do when you don't have the recent information, you know, talk about this deer of like, he disappeared on you, you know, and then at some point you were like, well, I'm going to, what, what else am I going to hunt? Right. Cause that's the next question. Um, you know, or do you assume he's still alive and hunt a ghost for the next 60 days, which is frankly terrible. There's no worse feeling than that. It's got, it's got to be situational. I mean, it's, it comes down to the opportunities and the, and the, you know, the time, the opportunities, the places mm -hmm. you have to go, the deer that you have that might show up type of deal. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the historic, you know, trail camera information to say, you know, it's worth holding out or something. But I, I you know, as, as giant as this deer is here, you know, I don't know. It, it took me three weeks. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> you know, two, two, three weeks. Like he, he stopped showing up, you know, and it was a, a small, it was a small area that I had him in 
anyways. And, you know, I, I, I didn't think he'd gotten killed. I figured he had just moved off, but I had no idea if he would come back. This is the first year I had him. And so, you know, I, I have a shot enough for an older bucks that I was ready to start passing him. You know, and I may be in a different place to today or after this mm-hmm. season, but I mean that it goes to show you, and it worked out because my my dad, uh, who obviously I love and and hope would get to kill a deer like this, so so it worked out. You know, I'm super happy sure. for him. Um, but had that not been the case, and even when he showed up before Dad killed him, I was like, man, I wish I still had a tag in my pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, as happy as I am with the deer I shot, you know, that's just that's just the the dilemma, but. How about your your deer, TJ? I mean, most of the deer this year were you were you seeing regularly? Did you just kind of have a gut instinct? Did you know they were coming back from last year? I mean, what kind of tell us about what you what you ran into there in Indiana? Yeah, I had three that I was hoping would make it, and there were actually there was four or five. Three of them were like number one targets, and all three of them made it. Now this year, and those are the ones that that got shot this year. But um, we got one of them. But next year, I don't know, man. We the crop. I don't know what's going to happen next year. It's kind of just hope some other fellers move in. Um, we got a couple decent three year olds, but nothing like oh my gosh, you know, yeah. we might end up with some one forty type deer, which are nice deer, and I'll be happy to put a tag on them. But normally, we're able to find at least a sixty ish plus to you know dream about. Hmm. during the day every day you guys get it so i don't know we'll see what happens but this year was one to look forward to and it was fun running cameras and getting a lot of pictures and um so yeah that's all you can see what happens next year that's all you can hope for it's just we want to just be in the game know that there's one out there we say all the time it's like you can't kill them if they're not there Mm -hmm. and that's that's just the that's just the truth you know and so when they're when they're there even if you've never seen them in person it's like just to know that someday you might or that you've got in the meantime, you can chase them. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean, that's what it comes down for. to is like, it, you know, uh, and it's hard to think back to like when we didn't have cameras and stuff to know, like, you know, how many times we were hunting based on like a rub we saw or whatever it might've been. And, you know, to now where it's like, you know, you've got a pretty good idea if that deer is still there or not. And, and I mean, we all still have probably held out in hopes and dreams of killing a buck who may have been dead, you know, a month before and you know you just didn't know it but um you know i think that's what makes this time of year so interesting is number one you know surveying for survivors right who made it through the year you know whether you get them on camera still holding you know i think the unfortunate thing and it, it sounds like it's been kind of spread across the the whole whitetail range is you know, we had that super cold blast came down what right around christmas and uh, i mean what you know, negative 30 plus wind chill type thing. And I, I mean, I know since then I have seen a pile of shed bucks. I mean, it seemed like that may have put the stressor over the edge to where they just, they started throwing them left and right. Um, I'd say I'm at like 25% shed, which is way ahead of where it should be. No doubt. Usually yeah. it's like a February 1st. I start seeing them go. Yep. Yeah. I, I had several. Now one was that buck that was sick, but I've had several since, you know, right around Christmas. I had, I had a couple in mid December. Well, transparently, <clears throat> that's one of the reasons. Uh, so TJ's going to talk about shed season here in a bit. I was like, uh, dude, we might want to bump this up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, they're starting to go. Shed season starting early. I know. Year. Well, and as I like, you start thinking about habitat work and being in the woods. I mean, we're going to end up tripping over sheds earlier than we have in yeah. years past for sure. And you know, you'll have that. It's, it's not like 
hey, there's something else going on. Like, it's just a huge weather stressor came through, and, right. you know, that's the kind of thing that'll take the kick him over the edge. And there's still plenty of bucks holding. But, you know, I, I think, TJ, kind of getting into it on the on the shed side, but, like, think of, like, just kind of your background and, and, and what you've got going on. I mean, maybe tell some of the listeners just kind of your background and evolution even into, you know, what I think is such a cool niche in that, most of the people listen to this, you know, uh, love shed hunting. Well, we all love deer, right? And with that comes shed hunting. I think what's so crazy is, you know, if you if you don't live in an area where you've got a lot of late f- season food sources or a lot of ag fields and stuff, I mean, finding sheds is like a needle in the haystack, right? I mean, it's you can walk 20 plus miles over the course of a week and never find a damn shed. Um, but maybe just tell some of the listeners kind of your background and, and kind of what came around before the, the rack hub side of things. Yeah. Um, so we can go through brief history and then focus on back on sheds then yeah. stuff and shed season. But, um, yeah, I, I'm an industrial designer. I grew up in excavating and love sketching and stuff and ended up going to Purdue to study industrial design, which is essentially product design. Always wanted to get in the hunting industry, just really wasn't an opportunity. I didn't know anyone. And I was fortunate enough to, in 2011, my wife, Whitney, filmed me shooting a, a good buck. He was uh, 176. It was the first one where, you know, you always got those trail camera pics of those ghost bucks. Mm-hmm. You never, never could kill them, at least I couldn't. And this is one we finally tried to do it right. And we ended up getting it done. And it was all on film and stuck him at five yards. And it's all on film. And uh, anyway, fast forward, we had our Christmas cards. I mentioned excavating. So my parents sent that picture of our whole family around this deer um, out as their like thank you letter, Christmas letter, end of the year to everyone they did work for. And one of those families ended up being to um, Mike Scobie, which he's now working with um, Trump Jr. and Field Ethos. So he essentially... Uh, we ended up chatting and wrote an article and all that stuff, but he, he has done so much for me because he um, actually got me a pass to ATA, which is like the biggest thing in the world. And I got to run around and shake hands. I actually whipped up some resumes. It'd probably be embarrassing to look at that (laughs) at this point, but ended up meeting Andy Simo, which is the original founder of NAP Mm -hmm. um, back when NAP was pretty, pretty darn cool. And, um, Andy called me in February after ATA and said, Hey, got a project for you. Interested? And, you know, I about dropped my phone. This is somebody in the industry, someone I've looked up to. And so I ended up working with them on quite a few projects um, before they ended up selling it. And it really opened my eyes to the industry and something that I just, I knew this is what I'm wired to do. So I did a lot of freelance work here and there for years, ended up, um, designing a tree stand is my thesis. I was the oddball in class. You That's know, awesome. I was in liberal arts school, which <laughs> um, insert whichever stereotypes you want there. But um, I was definitely the oddball. So designed a tree stand and then uh, ended up, let's see, how'd that work out? Uh, Brad Beaver, mm-hmm. which you guys may know him. Yep. He started White Taylor. He yep. is six, seven years younger than me. He's a youngster. And he went to the same school as me. Mm-hmm. So he started White Taylor. He came over. We shot some content for him and we hit it off because he's a, one of the most talented creatives in our space. So we started on White Taylor and then we ended up, um, my cousin and I, thinking up this idea for Rack Hub. So I looped Brad in and said, Hey, 
this is, this has got to look good, right? With building this brand. And we didn't know anything, you know, Brad just recently built a website himself and I was like, Hey, can you help us? So we did the product work. He helped on the brand side and we started rack hub and ended up going to ATA in 2019. And that's when it Damn. really all started because of meeting everyone and all the opportunities. And so started rack hub, then another company, big eight products ended up growing that and sold that to wicked north gear mm-hmm. uh, to bobby and Lindsay from them they're excellent people they'll be at ata this year um from those the connections the network growing ended up starting another company called half rack so own that with a couple fine gentlemen that's a that's a fun company we're young and growing we'll be there i'll be at ata with that brand and ended up during all this time this is all side hustle stuff and i was working for uh, Delta Faucet Company. I, mm. I'd worked there six years, probably eight, including my co-op. And all this was side hustle. I wanted to get into it, but never again, a full-time job opportunity. Sure. And finally in 2019, made the leap and started Eads Design, which is a consulting company uh, to do design work, mostly in the outdoor space, but we do some non-hunting. And Brad Beaver at the time, he had went to Midwest Whitetail, mm-hmm. done the internship stuff. They did something with Novix, uh, used to be Lone Wolf, now Novix. They needed a designer. Brad looped me in. So Novix was the first company I shook hands with for Eads Design uh, to start that company. So it's, man, it's all about the people in this industry. And I've been fortunate to meet a lot of great people that have done so much for me. So that's, you know, kind of what I've surrounded myself with is just amazing people and things happen and we're built on trust and who knows what's what's next but um shed season has been something we've been brewing on for probably three four years grabbed the domain three or four years ago and last year is the the first time we implemented it uh with Dwayne jones so we hadn't Mm -hmm. done it because brad and i are tied up uh but Dwayne jones you know he moved back from out east he's a stud muffin of a feller and um who we've had the, on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say he was on yeah. last year. Yeah. You yeah, you guys, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's all coming back here. So anyway, Dwayne's like, yeah, I'll sign up for this craziness and try and run this with you. So Dwayne is the face and does a ton for shed season. And got another buddy, Brandon, that helps manage the website side. And there's other, you know, 3PL doing apparel stuff. And anyway, shed season is kind of under rack hub, but separate. Got it. When you tie your swag to a hard good. It's unless you're like a Yeti or somebody that's very established and people want to represent it was, it's pretty difficult and honestly mm-hmm. not fun to push to that. So anyway, we observed with how shed hunting as a whole is growing all the way from East to West coast, everything in between and even up North and Canada. And like, man, we should probably try something here um, because there's not really, there's a lot of Insta, you know, profiles and people sharing stuff, but like, what if we create a community where we develop organically have blogs and articles and videos and a plate like this hub, and we'll just grow it, you know, wherever the consumers and market take it essentially. And last year was pretty overwhelming with the DMS we got. People just wanted to share their stories and share what they found and some really meaningful things like people proposing over finding an antler and some people like down in the dumps, lowest of low, and then finding a giant match set. And it just, you know, they're ready to go live life again. Like (laughs) 
and everything in between. So it's just, we stumbled into something pretty special and it's, it's awesome. So this year we're going bigger and better and we can get into all those details, but yeah, I think that was like 10, 15 That's minutes perfect, background man. there. That's so perfect. sorry about that. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately, that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. SouthCam.com. Check them out. Well, dude, I mean, shed, shed antler. I mean, the antlers is like that. Finding one of those is like the next best thing, probably to to actually killing a deer. You well, I, mean? I don't think it's. I uh, to be honest, I don't think it's any easier necessarily or, or less of an accomplishment than than killing the deer. Like, I mean, it's still a challenge in itself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you think about. You know, anybody listening to this, think about how much time you spend in the woods from, you know, now through turkey season even. And then think about, like, how many sheds you actually find. Like, you know, I mean, there are certain guys, you know, we've got a few in, in Kansas that are like, I mean, they're collecting 100 plus a year, right? But for the average guy, even who spends a lot of time, or girl who spends a lot of time in the woods, like, maybe you find a handful or so. And so they're like, they're super important. Like, when you find them... Like they, you know, they even are. if I find a two-year-old four-point side, I'm like, damn, found a shed, you know? Well, it it ties you to that animal. Like it, it makes it real. We spend so much time, even if, you know, you see pictures of them or, uh, you know, maybe you, you glass them in a bean field in the summer or something to, to actually put your hands on and be able to take home with you and put on your mantle or something. The trophy aspect of, of that animal, uh, you know, granted there's all kind of other things that go into to a deer, but the antlers are what people are, we're, you know, we're striving for so that's what's attracted us to you know hunting these mature bucks and so to get one to hold on your hand i mean do i remember the first tj the deer that got me hooked and like like really just just obsessed uh was goose yep and we had him as a, a passed him as a three-year-old mm -hmm. uh he was on the farm as a four-year-old got killed by the neighbors as a five-year-old but I can remember when my dad found his match set on our farm as a four-year-old. It was it was the biggest antlers that we'd ever found off of our farm, and I I was like at the house doing homework. I was still like in it was college or something. Mm -hmm. I got on the ranger and drove out to where he was at and said, "I'll take those." Yeah, <laughs> it's like you keep walking, <laughs> and uh, I do. They like never left my sight after that. You in still fact, use them for rattling. They're my rattling antlers now. It, yeah. it almost tore my heart out to drill a hole to put a rope <laughs> in them, but the, I do. They don't. You know those. Those are really meaningful to me, even yeah. though I never saw the deer in person over, you know, once he was four years old, it's just that those antlers connect me to that memory. And the same with the pretty boy sheds that I can display those, yeah. even though I've, you know, have, I've never killed that deer. You know, I have a piece of him at, at my house. Well, that's why I was going to say TJ behind you, like having your, your wife's buck from last year. And then obviously her killing it this year, like. I, you know, um, I don't think there's anything cooler than that history being built. Um, and I guess it's because like, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure there's certain places that are easier than others. Obviously growing up in Pennsylvania, shit, man, I could count the number of sheds I found on my, 
you know, any of the places I hunted, like on one hand, you know, it just, it was such a rarity, you know, between that and squirrels just mowing them down, you know, and it's just cause we didn't have, you know, big standing bean fields or well, food plots or whatever. It's, it's not rocket science. You know, they shed their antlers where they're spending time in the late winter. Sure. You know, January, February time yep. frame. They're moved on to big, you know, in most cases, grain food sources, you know, and that's, yeah. you just drop them where they are. It's not like they have a strategy of where they're going to hide them. Yeah. Well, and I think so. that's, that goes back probably in TJ. I'm sure I'd be interested in hearing like what you guys hear, because, you know, there are a lot of people that I would say, um, you know, are quick to say, well, yeah, you know, I don't care about finding their sheds. I would assume, you know, and lump those guys into the group that I kind of fall my, find myself in or used to find myself in, which is that's because there were none, right? Like the area that I'm in or the property that I hunt doesn't hold any deer past mid-December, right? So there are no sheds to find. And so I can easily say, yeah, I don't care about sheds because I don't find any, you know, they don't, they don't exist. Yeah, that's, uh, that was my answer for, well, every year up until about five years ago when I saw the trend rising with people going out and actually finding antlers. I mean, a farmer would end up, end up with one in a waterway because he ran over it or something. Squirrels didn't find it before his tire did, but nobody around here shed hunted or went out and looked and the you know we got flat land out here and some winters are mild some are hard deer move around everywhere so they're dropping them mostly out in a cut cornfield and covered in snow so it's it's just never been a thing you know and now that it is i pay more attention jared you mentioned all the crop fields the grain that they're focusing on so i see you know where they're wintering and that's the first place we go. But it's Jeremy, you kind of brought it up. It it's a lot like hunting. It's not easy. Mm-mm. Even if you know that they're there, even if you know like a specific buck is there, he's wintering there, it's still difficult to go in there and find him because he might have dropped them on the neighbors and you didn't know he's even betting on the neighbors, or maybe he was spooked out and dropped them where he's never been, or squirrels got to him first, or somebody scooped them up before you it's all the variables in hunting it's kind of copy paste for shed hunting i mean it's sure especially now with everyone being aware of it um it's but it's man it's fun well that's what i was gonna ask i mean do you um do you find yourself being able to gain or trying to gain permission to ground that you don't hunt trying to like follow maybe some of those bucks that you have been chasing like where they've gone or just knowing like hey this is a hot spot for for sheds like i'm going to find them here good question shed hunting has opened up more permission for sure for sure and then also it has helped me actually get one buck for sure um that's the only reason I killed him is because I knew where he shed out. Hmm. So I knew how, you know, assuming where to go in and kill him in December, it was the day after Christmas back in uh, 2017. Wow. Because I wasn't getting trail cam picks of him where I thought I should. And so because of the thing, the data I wasn't getting that tangible shed that, you know, when you can touch, feel and hold it and you knew where he dropped it, that helped. That was a piece of the puzzle looking at a topo. Like he's gotta, gotta be here. So sheds shed hunting has really helped for fall hunting immensely immensely mm. with property new properties and then also killing that deer so yeah no doubt L- lowers on a deer right now <clears throat> that that 
Yeah. The stud he was hunting. So it was this time last year that he was on that deer. And he called me the other day at the airport and he's like, Hey, I'm not sure where to find this deer. I'm like, well, where was he last year? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and he's in the process of moving cameras and stuff, but I'm like, dude, that's, that's where you gotta be. Like, I don't think he found his sheds, but, um, I, I don't think people, um, I don't know if it's pay attention necessarily. I, I think that the, you know, time frame of, let's say, I don't know, mid December and on right. And most States still have a hunting season, but you know, the, the, whether it's the participation or whatever it is, it just falls off so dramatically. Right. And so, and I think that's tied, not necessarily the, the fact that people don't want to hunt, but those deer are only going to be where there is a good food source at that period of time. And, and the, the reality is, I don't know, 70% of, of places where people hunt deer don't have good thermal cover and they don't have good food right. in the late season. You know, and, and I've got, my property is one of those. Like my food plot was mowed to a golf course by, I don't know, first week of December, you know, and we have some decent bedding and browse, but it's just not enough to hold those deer. So come mid-December, you know, I may have seven, eight different bucks using that property in November, they're gone, you know, and, and maybe they appear every once in a while in December or January, but in no pattern, way, shape or form. So I think that so many people start to fall off the wagon because their property just isn't set up to to feed those deer. And, it, and it's the same in ag country. Like I'm, I'm speaking specifically into the timber and stuff that I hunt. But if you look in some of these big ag states, especially where they've got bean fields, when those bean fields get picked, I mean, they are barren. There is not any, unless they come back and do a winter wheat double crop. I mean, there is nothing in that thing for them to eat. And so, you know, I think it's just lack of, of deer sightings. Now flip that over to the other way. If you have food, you're loaded, right? I mean, it is, it is saturated at that point. Yeah. It's, it's a weird thing to get to shed hunt one of those places. Like the first time you do it, you're like, I've spent five years not finding anything or, or one or two a year. You're like, there's one, there's one, Yes. there's one. And that's, yeah. I mean, dude, that's one of the major differences probably between deer hunting and shed hunting is that like for the first time ever the more the merrier you know it's like they're they're not moving once they're on the ground so the more people you can get out there you know uh to enjoy that you know frankly the better chances uh you're gonna have to recover some antlers so that's that's a good opportunity i think to get people out um that maybe you you know can't afford to during the deer season yeah exactly you can get you know, whether it's just your buddies and you kind of have that camaraderie, they're your hunting buddies and you all go and tackle each other's farms or it's, you know, maybe your family, get the youngsters out there, get them outside, breathe in fresh air or even, you know, some of your, you know, parents or older folks because you can run a ranger around right. or something. It's really anybody can get out there. And that's what, again, that's what's fun about it. That's why um, we're really excited about this year's shed season and everything that's coming up so. as, as long as you lay the framework that hey as long as if we find xyz sheds they're, they, <laughs> they, they they stay with the farm like you, it's, it's great you that have, you found them but yep you have to have that discussion prior yep. you, mean, can, you can come back and know, see them people, anytime but <laughs> you you might even need a john hancock or right. whatever but um yeah yeah, it, <laughs> yeah definitely definitely discuss that before so you don't get in a fist fight right well i think it you know when you start to look at um let's even say like the deer hunting community from a bigger picture, because anyone that hunts private land or owns private land and is, is ate up with it, 
know, there's plenty of projects that come with the off season, right? They're hinge cutting, burning, food plotting, you know, I mean, you're always figuring out something, but you know, if you're a public land guy, especially like you can't really do any of that stuff, you know, you're going to do postseason scouting, you know, but shed hunting is that one thing that the entire community can participate in, 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 in the late season. And of course, you know, there's a lot of people who just, you know, maybe deer hunt a couple days a year or whatever it is. Like they don't care about sheds. They're not going to be out there walking around looking for a, pe- a shed. They, they just don't care. But I think that, like you said, over the last several years, we've seen this gigantic increase and maybe COVID helped with that. You know, the fact that all of a sudden, like we don't have anything to do during, you know, February and March of 2020. Like there's literally, we can't go anywhere get outside and walk around. Oh, what's this? A deer shed. Oh, look, here's another one. Like those are the things that kind of probably got people entried into it to the point where I think there's a lot of people that enjoy shed hunting more than they enjoy deer hunting at this point, which is crazy to think, but it's true. Oh, it's very true. We know quite a few people that like they kind of cruise through hunting season and they're geared up and focused for shed season. And they got a goal of, I found 42 last year. I'm going for 50 this year. Or, you know, like you said, Jeremy, out in Kansas, there's folks scooping up 100 plus or Iowa. You know, we got buddies out there. They're, you know, run around to their private farms where there's not a lot of pressure, leave a lot of food, very intentional for deer management. And they're scooping up 100 plus antlers. My buddy Jason in Illinois, same deal. So it's guaranteed for them, which is really cool to be able to go out there and do that. Um, And then out west, huge increase out west as well well um, they have regulations there sorry tj didn't they interrupt do. you but like to the point where like when you're allowed like i've i've seen videos of like literally people like lined up like ready to run into an area to like find sheds mm. yeah and that the antler market <clears throat> hasn't gone down it's growing too i don't know what the dollar amount is per pound i think it's kind of based on per pound but that's why that along with other reasons probably political but um that's why there's regulations out West. Hmm. Um, but also probably why it makes it fun and good and productive too. And then you have, I think it's, um, in Jackson hole, they have the whole fundraiser thing, um, which is pretty cool. So there's, man, all this is back to these antlers, you know, all these businesses, all the shed season stuff. Isn't it funny how these antlers make us go crazy and drive what we do. Dude, how does that antler market like work? Is that can anybody just sell their antlers and who's buying them? They buy each other's. Um, <laughs> okay, I, they do. Like if show it's me something mine, unique and special. I mean, yeah. I've seen them like on Facebook. Like I've seen people trying yep. to sell. Like, I've heard of it too. Like an eighty-inch shed or like a a, a match set up from like what would yeah. have probably been a, a mid-eighties or mid-nineties. I mean, like right. giant. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure people would love to have them. It's, Who is, who's they though? Who's offering? I've heard well, people getting offers for, yeah. there's collectors. So just like anything, you collect yeah. pennies or quarters or keychains or license plates, there's collectors and they have their own little niche auctions of sorts where you go and set up and you can view them and bid up the price. And there's people that buy them for productive use, if you will, like carvings or knives sure. or knobs or yeah chandeliers chandeliers are big have to go through um, a lot of them very right? big still yeah yeah well dude yeah, I, they're my, big my parents have an antler chandelier and i was looking at it the other day i was like dude there's some world-class mule deer like sheds yep. in that thing i'm like where did they get that mm-hmm. oh, they're 
buying them up in bulk like that. A lot of singles are sold. Singles are easier to sell. You know, selling a match, that's where the money's at. If you actually found a wild match set, there's more money in that. doesn't matter what species it is. Um, but yeah, there's, dude, there's a lot of antlers being traded and sold, um, especially out West. And then once you get into the whole, um, like deer farming, elk, elk farming, sure. that side of it. Sure. So as I, would, well. I was in, uh, this was years ago, probably, God, I don't know, 15, 15 years ago, maybe, maybe a little less. I was in, um, uh, in Colorado and I was doing research for mule deer and elk for the buck score products. Mm-hmm. And I was staying in this little, little town and, um, Which town? Oh, was it Montrose? was the other one I was at Gunnison. Okay. I was in Gunnison, Colorado and, um, I was working at a meat processor. So when people would bring their elk and, and mule deer in, like I was taking measurements on, on those deer, uh, and elk. And so, um, guy who ran the meat processor, he, you know, hopefully he's still alive, but older guy, you know, done it for years and kind of was telling like the history of Gunnison, like back in the day when like, you know, it was pl- tags were plentiful and, and the herds were really thriving. You know, you could walk out on like a mid October during gun season and it was lined with guys in like red flannels and orange. And like, you know, it was just a booming business to where, you know, the town wasn't a ghost town, but so many of these businesses had died off because tags had been cut short. Seasons had been cut short. Um, outfitters had, had basically taken over a lot of the area. And, uh, we were just sitting there talking and he's like, well, do you just want to me- measure antlers? I was like, no, you know, I need these facial features. This is the whole point of what I'm, I'm building here. And he's like, well, come check this out. And he added, I'm not shitting you. He took me next door. There was a house. He opened the door and I'm talking floor to ceiling stacked with sheds, mule deer sheds, elk sheds, the entire house. You barely could walk through the house, floor to ceiling, every room, every floor was just sheds that he had collected over the years. And I mean, I'm talking like world-class, like just monsters. Wow. And it was just, you know, he's, I was just like, well, what do you do with them? He's like, yeah, every once in a while we get a collector to come in and buy, or somebody buys in bulks for chandeliers. He's like, but he's like, you know, I just, I walk on the, in the high country and stuff and collect all of them and just bring them back. And, you know, this is probably 20 years of this. Wow. And it was, I mean, thousands, thousands of sheds in there. You know, and it's just you so crazy. You don't happen to have the coordinates or could drop me a pin <laughs> on that, do you? I'll tell you what, asking, the, the meat processor, friend. If you could buy that house, it'd be worth its weight in gold on the inside. <laughs> white you gold. Know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was just, gold. it was so crazy to think like that, you know, was just part of it, you know, and he did kind of, that's where I learned about this whole regulation. Cause I was like, oh, you just walk out and find him. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I forget what it is more like hypothetically. He's like March 1st. 8 a.m. You're able to boom. It's you know we go out and we start. So is that? I'd imagine that that only makes sense where there's like a really condensed area, like where all the elk. I assume it's thing. a lot of the wintering zones right. and stuff that they're because I've seen that, that too. I think it's Montana where they have the, the whole roads lined with cars and stuff, and then they like blow a whistle. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're good that's to exactly yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, because I think, and like I mean, Black, Black Friday at Walmart. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, you, you <laughs> a little know, more wholesome. But. And keep, keep in yep. mind, like, if you think about, um, like, we, we've probably seen just because of social media, whether it's like the Hushing guys or whoever, like, you see them going out and picking up sheds even in like August, September. Like, you know, because it's so, think of how much ground country. is out there in country. Yeah. To cover, you know, and that's no knock to the Western uh, sheds, but, 
because of population density and activity and stuff, uh, the whitetail sheds is just a whole different world, right? Oh, nice. I mean, it's just, it, you know, the amount of people looking for them or the, just in general, the amount of people occupying areas that just are going to come across them versus, you know, that shed from an elk that falls in well, 100,000 acres in the middle of nowhere. I would say the Western shed hunting is way more impressive. You think so? I think so. It's a nomadic animal. I mean, I, I is, would, that the, is that the word? They, they're not like sure. a core area, like a deer you're going to find. Like when one sheds out and even us with trail cameras, that's like, I, there's one laying in a field, right? That I'm pretty sure of. Sure. You know, and elk's got, I, I just thousands think that you would find because of the area terrain, maybe demand, like you would just find more of them. Like if, if we all, if the three of us got together and said, Hey, let's go to whatever. Colorado and we're going to go into this area and we're going to shed hunt. I bet we would find way more sheds than we'd find whitetail sheds in an area. Oh, say that again. I think we'd find way more sheds in an area like that than we'd find whitetail sheds in like Ohio. I don't think so, dude. I don't know. Man. Depends. It, it does depend with, with, um, so we know Eric from, um, yeah. the hush and he's a yeah. good dude. He, um, the ate up with it. Same with Ryan Olson in California he travels yep. around scooping so many sheds. Anyway, it comes down to the winter that they have and how high these critters are up on the mountain. Do they come all the way down to sure. the bottom yeah. or if they're halfway up or all the way to the top and it's over here because of this and that. And we had a burn over here. We didn't get any rain this year. So it's, I think we can, we would be able Jeremy to apply our learnings, what we know, food, water. Yeah thermals uh, of cover out there but you'd have to know a little bit of history i would think because you could go walk miles and strike out i just know that from i've never done it so i can't really say i haven't either but i think it is situational and depends to be honest because because of yeah well i I also say that lightly because like i know in kentucky i walked i don't know it was like a given two days or three days i walked 19 miles and i didn't find a damn shed (laughs) like you know 19 yeah 19 and but i'm talking you know big country you know hill country kentucky mountains like no ag like i'm just walking trails and ridges you know it it just so i don't know it just comes down to like how, how many you know, deer are in an area at the time that they're shedding or, or elk or whatever mm-hmm. species. And, uh, there's just a lot more country. Well, I also say that on the west. Western side from an elk standpoint, especially because those, the herds of elk have so many more bulls in them, you know? So if you find the area, there's a bunch, I still think in whitetail, like you may find a shed yeah. or a match set, true. but you're probably not going to find a pile of like five different bucks with match sets and no. stuff. I see your reasoning. So you're saying if you had 19 miles to give out west, you're going to find a shed. And that's I'm sure there's people laugh. listening to this saying you're full of shit. Like you, that's not going to be. But <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just looking at it from. Well, did you not wrong? There's a difference between you know muley and elk country as well, because like for sure we found several muley sheds. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. In the Dakotas, we walked one drainage and I found nine different muley sheds. Yeah. You know, and it was like, well, that was easy. <laughs> tripping over them. Yeah, that was the that was the most sheds I've ever found. Now. I, I know when I'm recalling now when we had Dwayne on the podcast, you know, I think he told me one of his, I don't know if it was in Indiana or not. He found like 17 sheds in one like winter wheat field. Right. I've never. Indiana, ex- yeah. That it was here and that never, that never happened. Well, I was going like, to say, I, I've never yeah. experienced that even in Kansas when we're out there. Like maybe we find one or two, but like I've never heard of anything like that. So 
Yeah, I mean, it's, and I think I say that because a lot of people are going to be listening to this who either shed hunt or are wanting to shed hunt or they want to get into it. And they're just like, man, I feel like I'm always in the woods and I never find them. Like, you're not alone. Right. I mean, no, it, we're all, we've all been there. And all of this that we're talking about, it's like we're talking about hunting season, right? It's like we're talking about fall, fall trail cam picks. This is the data we've been getting. Here's where they're feeding right now, getting ready to break up from bachelor groups and do that. That's what makes shed hunting fun because it's mm-hmm. a different version of fall hunting mm-hmm. uh, where you can be a little bit more relaxed about it. You can take the whole family out. You can do it at your convenience. It doesn't have to be morning or evening and find the sitters. Just take them out. So it's yeah. that's what I love about it. All these variables, everything we're talking about it. You can like, yeah, it's stressful if you walk 19 miles and don't find one. But at the end of the day, you learned a ton. You learned a lot about the piece of dirt you're walking. Oh man, a ton. Maybe to apply for for that fall. Yeah. So it's never ever a waste. Yeah. Never ever. Well, so. no, and that's it. I mean, you, you cover so much ground. You're, you know, it's it's the bare bones of the woods or or wherever you're at at that time of year. You know, so you're really you're seeing sign. And, and in fact, most of the time, I'm finding new rubs or old scrapes or wherever that I'm marking, saying, hey. You know, if it's not super hot, I need to hike myself back up in here and throw a camera up here in August next year and let it eat, you know, all year or whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, fishing or, you know, just in the the sense that like you could walk a lot of woods to find, you know, the right honey hole that they're in. Absolutely. I mean, two experiences I can think of were b- both in Kansas. The one was when we found Pretty Boy Shed and Spider-Man Shed within 100 yards, 100 of, yards each other, of each other after walking, what? 10 miles. 10 miles and not finding hardly anything. Yep. Uh, the same could be said for just the two weeks ago, TJ, I missed a buck in Kansas. Actually, I I, I hit what I think was no man's land. It was, I think it was a non-lethal shot. But I put the next half of the next day into um, blood trailing and, and gridding. Uh, a block that we don't ever go into like it's it's sanctuary and i found three antlers uh like within a, a 50 did mile, you bring this home 50 acre stretch together at my house i'll bring these three-year-olds you thought yeah, yeah probably yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a match set and, and an individual yeah you well know. and i mean like i i found um this was 2017 i hit wide boy which is in this pile here somewhere there he is so i hit this buck in 2017 put it in a shoulder blade you know thought maybe it was lethal but but you know couldn't find them was like all ate up with it the next november so literally a year later i'm walking the same block that you're talking about looking for a buck that our buddy hit and i happen you know we're not finding this here i happen to look up the trail and i it's lit like this and i'm like huh i was like that looks like a shed and I walk up and pick it up. I'm like, holy shit. I mean, it's, you know, what it's an 80 it? inch shed. Is it 80 inches? You mm-hmm. measured it, right? Yeah, 81, <laughs> you know, and that's with Jeez. a lot of stuff broken on it. Um, you know, this deer was probably low 80, low 80s as a, a 20 inch spread. Um, and, you know, it's it, like, it's not up, but it had been there for, you know, eight months. You know, and and confirmation that that deer had survived. You know, at least for one more year. So, it's. I mean, dude, look at what we're talking about. All we have here on this table is antlers. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah, Yeah. and and, and every podcast they were pulling them out. Oh, this one and that one. Oh, we found this. There's Spider Man right there. There's Spider Man. So this, um, 
This is a buck called uh, White Whale, of which I shot in 2014 in Kansas. Gross scored. That's, that's a cool one. Gross scored 175. I think it was two years later. Yeah, we were walking in the in the CRP behind where I shot him, and this set is sitting there from probably the year before I killed him. Right? All, all chalked up. Yeah, I mean, but you could ride on a sidewalk with those things. No, no nine, <laughs> no nothing. Like literally sitting there together. He jumped the fence, and probably they fell off like this, buried in grass. So you know they it, were. That's always saw was tines coming up from underground. So it was like spring. Of, also in this section, spring of six. So talk about them all being condensed. Like we do, we found all these sheds in two places. Yeah, it's the honey holes. You know, spring, spring condensed. But you know that was, um, yeah, spring of two thousand sixteen, and I had killed him in December of fourteen. So he dropped those in the spring of fourteen. Um, you know, and it's just that that's the cool stuff, and and. You know, you could go years without finding, you know, any sheds. And then, like, you find sets like that, and they mean something. You know, like, I have this buck on a pedestal in my house. Like, this buck, as much as I can't believe I didn't get him, I had hunted this deer, you know, since 2013 or 14. Um, you know, and to, and never found a shed from him. And so, to find the shed the year that I stuck him was, like, crazy. You know, and just what are the odds of that eight months later finding that? I don't know the math on it, but very slim. Yeah. Very slim. Well, and that's where it's like almost the, like, yes, shed hunting is going to be intense from the time people are listening to this to what? Turkey season, you know? But I mean, here it was in November finding this shed. You know, I, I find a pile of sheds, you know, during the hunting season the, the year after. In fact, uh, when we were looking for your dad's deer in Kansas, I found, I don't know, two or yeah. three yeah. sheds on, down in the, in the bottom. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, so it's just so weird, like how, you know, it's, it's, it's pieces. I think people take for granted finding a shed because it's such a big piece to the puzzle of that deer's existence. If that makes sense. It does. Oh, preaching, preaching the choir at it. It's a very big deal if you're a hunter, but even there's a bunch of non hunters that get jazzed about it. They look forward to it and people, the family's out just hiking and with the, you know, I was from the design world. There's a lot of, you go to Pinterest or Howl's or boutiques. There's always antlers incorporated into core. So there, there's, there's more of a need for it, I guess, because everyone wants them hunters, non hunters. Everyone enjoys them. Yeah. There's no, um, I've seen a lot of bickering. jewelry lately. Well, like they're just antler jewelry on stuff, rings and yep. they're just necklaces, yep. everything undeniable. I mean, dude, it's in our, it's like in our nature to be drawn to like the fact that an, a wild animal grows this thing in one year, you know, and then sheds it for, for us to hopefully find and turn into, you know, something with yeah, utility so or cool, decoration or, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, dude, that's just, that's what we do it for. And that's why, you know, we, design this product for rack up being able to remove them because it's so important to be able to touch and feel them yeah and, that's awesome you know so it's cool too seeing a deer like this you guys love this stuff too but seeing the carbon copy like he had that kicker uh, right there yeah kept it it's just like the scale up button but then this side went crazy throwing yeah throwing you know, this main beam main. out here and kicker here why'd he do that when he used to look like this yeah, super clean. You know, so it's just it's interesting too to see what they do year after year. And yeah. I think we love it too because not no two are the same, you know. Yeah, man. I think that's a 
That's a big piece. I, I do like the fact, like kind of what you were talking about there, Jared, and, and that this, you know, this animal grows this thing. You know, it's one of the fastest growing tissues, um, you know, on the planet. It's like, just it's amazing. A, it's a fact. Yeah, to, be, to, to look at it. I mean, dude, this deer that my dad killed, I can't believe, like, just the, the enormity of it. Like, I'm, I look at, like, one antler at a time, and I'm like, I can't believe that a deer like threw these things out of his head. Like, and, and he did that mm -hmm. in a few months. It just, it just seems so crazy to me. Yeah. Then you get things like this that Dude. grow literal. Inches, I know. I know. Literal inches every day. It, it, well, yeah. And I it's mean, it's crazy. And then like the factors, like you said, TJ, like n no two antlers are the same. Like even in a match set, no two antlers are the same, but, mm -hmm. You think about like the the age and the genetics and the nutrition, all of these factors that go into a deer growing that and what its potential could be. Did he get sick? Did he get injured? Like, um, yeah. you know, it's just a it's a crazy thing to where like Dude, it's like it's like the rings of a tree. Like when, you know, somebody that's mm -hmm. ate up with a history of a forest, you can look at it and say, oh, there was a there was a forest fire this year. Oh, there was yeah. You know, we had a hard winter. Like you can just see all of the history in a something that you can hold in your hand. And I think that's why I have such a like, and it is you know, teach their own. But like when somebody says, well, you know, I don't care about the antlers. I'm like, yeah. How like, can you not care about the antlers? I get it. <laughs> that's what they're producing. I get it, but like you, you know, you have to appreciate it. Like the fact that you're telling me don't care about them tells me like you're not appreciating what this animal goes through to do that. And you know, let's keep you know, not to go completely on like the biological side of things, but like we still have no real idea like what a buck's antlers true function are like is it is it to to defend itself and to fight for territory yes but you know is it because like the bigger antler the doe picks like we don't know these mysterious like social interactions of a white-tailed deer like obviously this buck grew this giant set of antlers for a reason why you can argue it five different ways uh and it, so when you say well i don't care about the antlers like how can't you yeah, see, I've changed my tune on that, Jeremy, When I, because I love them, obviously. I think we established that. But um, I just, now I just, like, if you don't care, then, you know, I'll take them off your hands. Or, you know, I change it. <laughs> right. like, it it's okay. It, you know, yeah, I don't you really don't like them anyway, but I'll, ta I'll take care of them for you. So that's how I approach those topics there, Jeremy. So just, you know, friend to friend, maybe future. Maybe you. that's what I use. Oh, you don't care? Yeah, I'll take I mean, them. You don't, you're not, they, their mind's made up. So don't yeah. try and change it. Just help them. And you listen, know, they got a problem. They there, got antlers and they don't like them. There so. are people that will say that and like in these comments for sure. But there are people, I won't say that they don't care about them, but man, there are some giant antlers collecting dust in attics and, and in barns and all of these places across the country, which are like, to me, that is a crazy mystery. Well, and dude, even worse, they never grew. I think like that that's such a major motivator of our conversation around wanting to get deer to to five, six years old is like for that is that's what can happen. Like that deer, a lot of these deer are capable of something like this, and they just don't ever yeah, have the opportunity. Oh, yeah. How can you not want? I hit this one with my truck and that's still in the shop. This deer <laughs> to have a chance to grow into that deer. I know. Like that's and, insane. And not just for us selfishly to say I shot a, a giant deer, but to to see what they can do. For the deer. I don't know. I, I think it's a, a pretty safe uh, you know, point like, to look stand at from that. to make How that is argument. that even the same species? Isn't that nuts? 
<clears throat> like to just see what that like that difference is. Yeah. How could you hit this with your vehicle, Jared? I know. That one was You un- didn't even give him a chance. Un- unintended. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to talk about that later, Jared. Yeah, that's a $17,000 deer right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> and you just got it laying down? Yeah. Man. Yeah. It is crazy though. I mean, it, it's um I, I do think that uh, people maybe who aren't like super ate up with shed hunting and, and finding antlers and stuff, the moment they find one, like if they go out for a walk or a hike or, or they go out scouting postseason, when they find one, like it, it is an addicting thing, you know, and I, you, I can't say that it for me, like it's as addicting as, you know, like actual hunting and deer management. But to me, it's, it's the consistent hunting year round. Like I, I tell people that all the time, like, I don't think people realize for the guys who are ate up with this, we are hunting almost year round, right? It, it may not be like with a weapon, but it's scouting, it's, it's planting food plots, it's managing habitat, it's building history, it's, it's putting pieces together so that when I go through and find an antler. It's an excuse to be out where they're at, you know, and, and like I said earlier, to find one of them is like the, the connection that you can uh, hold on to from, from one year to the next. Mm-hmm. Dude, we're obviously geeks over. I mean, a lot of people would be like, it's just a, well, it's just a bone. Like, I do think it's, you know, not that people haven't collected these, and I don't know, TJ, if you have any of the history on this, but, like, I have to believe shed hunting, like, is relatively new, right? Like, when, when I was growing up hunting as a 12-year-old, like, I was looking for a spike with a three-inch antler. Nobody was out looking for that damn thing when he shed it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I think it's the craze is new. Yeah, I don't know how. I'm sure there were guys out there just stacking antlers up that didn't tell a soul about it, and you know they kind of just kept to themselves, so to speak. But with yeah. social media, you know that's what happens with about anything. Yeah, and so I, I, I mean that's what you have to believe. Like I mean, I'm sure people were yep. finding big antlers in Kansas and Iowa. And I, I think whatever. The, I think the reason for it is is relatively new. Like I, the the trophy. Well, I don't I don't know. I could be dead wrong, but it seems like the trophy hunting aspect of and like what we're talking about building history with these deer and stuff while that may have existed there probably was a lot more utility for antlers like back in the day you know whether it's you know you're talking like in like indian survival yeah. type. oh absolutely yeah. or, or even you know even on a decor sense you know use it for buttons on jackets 100%. or for you know and true decor at some point but but like I, if i go back to like uh like the Wenzels or even back to like a Fred bearer, like you didn't see hear about Fred bear out there shed hunting. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that he didn't, but it's like, you, you didn't hear that or, yeah. you know, like Barry and Gene were out killing giant bucks in Iowa in the seventies and eighties, but I never really like heard them going out and finding these sheds. Life was hard, man. They had to work. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. There was we had no all this extra time to go walk around. There was no hunting industry, right? They yeah. were just, they were actually doing jobs. Work. They were in the it. mines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we laugh, but yeah, yeah, probably we're, we're the generation now that gets to do it. But yeah. um, I don't, that's interesting. I've never really thought about it, but it'd be interesting to dig up the history. Like who was yeah. some of the first to, start doing that there's, um just there. to build the history and because it's got to like, be random. not use it for utility it's yeah, got to like, be somewhere like farmers i'm sure just, ran it over with their tractor found it in the field threw it in a barn guys i would imagine guys up in like the like wisconsin minnesota canada michigan where there's like wintering yards like yeah. they're like oh my god look at this giant buck and like you know but i don't i just i do wonder i don't there's know. like a you know the, you know we could point to some guys that are like 
you know, pioneers in the in the bow hunting industry or something like that. Who who would that who would that be, Nick? Sitting over there. Why don't you Google us up? Uh, who, who would be like the you know one of the pioneers of recreational shed hunting? Well, so here I, I know this one because um, I saw stuff recently on it. So this was is it called the General? Yes. So this is a buck called the General, yeah, which was it. from Nebraska, and it's basically the largest set of antlers shed antlers ever found would have been from a near perfect six by six that, it, that would have scored approximately two eighteen and an eighth net on the decent. Yeah. So that would have been, and that was found. So it says, this is the biggest shed of deer shed antlers that were found more than 50 years ago in Nebraska. However, the antlers were known by locals for years. They didn't receive natural national attention until the early 1990s. So assume that they were found sometime in the 70s. Wow. Antlers by Klaus did a replication of it. Dude, there should be like a TV show of people just going to old farms in Iowa trying to dig up. Dude, I guarantee if you... I'd consume it. I'd consume it. I bet you, if you went from like Ohio to Kansas, you know, hit that belt and yeah, just be like, hey, I'm just looking for, you know... Shed hunters. Even if you just said antlers. There's the name. Yeah, and uh, like they're like, oh yeah, you know, Grandpa's got a whole bunch of them back there, and there's just this pile of just giant sheds. You're like, oh, you know, there's guys out there probably doing that. I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. And we don't know any of their names. Well, you know, yet. you we see, you yet. see them every once in a while, and no, normally, maybe it's not a shed, maybe it's a mount, but you like if it's like in an estate sale or a flea market, like all some at some point a, a buck shows up. Like I've seen elk. My gra- my grandma was telling me I don't know it was years ago my my grandpa was doing work in the Poconos uh, in Pennsylvania, and he used to always get himself in the shit. But he ended up like whatever he was doing a roof or something. Part of his payment he took this old mounted moose and like brought it home to my grandma, and she said it smelled like cat piss or something. <laughs> and he's <laughs> on a, on account of the cats pissing on it. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, why in the hell would you take this as part of your payment? He's like, it's a moose. It's huge. Like, have you ever seen antlers like this? You know, and it probably sat. Uh, who knows where the hell it is at this point? But like, those are the things that like didn't that didn't get passed down. No, I'm sure she pitched it if it smelled like cat piss. Mm. But like, you know, it, that was probably shot somewhere. Who knows? 50 years before that. So it had been in like the 1930s somewhere. Mm. And it's just like, those are the things, the stories that those antlers kind of go around. And eventually they do deteriorate, right? I mean, it's not like they're permanent forever. Um, But I'm sure you're right. Like if you went to some of these garages and barns and things like that, there have to be, I bet somebody, we've said this before, somebody that has the world record typical buck in in a garage or shed somewhere. Like they just haven't scored it. They haven't turned it in. I'm sure somebody's got some god huge shed that nobody's ever seen before, probably from a world record buck, you know, that's just collecting dust in the corner. So when when people are like, oh, you know, where's this this world record? Like there's more out there than people think that exist. It's just no one really knows about them. There's a, this is from nrafamily.org, uh, Roy Rasmussen. Um, started doing uh, shed hunting with elk antlers when he was 19 and he's now 50. Um, and he for like 30 years. Yeah. For the past 30 years. Yeah. I don't know how far back. It's the late, late nineties. It seems they, like in the, at least from these ones that I'm reading here, sixties and seventies, I think. Yeah. Is when he was growing up in 
I guess it wasn't really his business then, but that's when people started to just like pay cash for it. Here's a pretty big one. This is from Fildenstream. Ten, 10 of the biggest whitetail shed antlers ever found. Uh, so one was the Holy Moses sheds. Uh, antlers by Klaus did it. Um, let's see here. So the general is the biggest. We talked about Kansas King. Kansas rancher found this buck's match set not once but twice. Six by six with 14-inch G2s. Right antler scores a 98 and a half. That's mm. a monster. It's kind of crazy. Mm. If you Google uh, first shed hunter, like nothing comes out, comes up. It's, it's all mm -hmm. just very recent stuff. Here's one. Uh, the knife handle buck, uh, the complete set was found in 1969. 40 years later, antlers by Klaus tracked down the other side. Which is which was indeed cut from the base to the G two, so it was basically like it uh, it was cut off. Um, would have estimated in the two thirties as a as in a, as a BC top typical, it probably would have gave the Milo Hansen buck a run. Wow! So that was nineteen sixty nine that those were found in Iowa. And you I mean, kind of—that's not really that long ago. You got to believe people are shed hunting in the 1800s. Here's a Canadian buck, right? It's called the Fleming Sheds. Typical five by five with G2s measuring 17 and a quarter and 15 and three quarters. 17 and a quarter G2s. Would have es estimated work. net score of 207. Dude, I mean, there's no way. Wow. And it probably wasn't like as much of a recreational activity, but I bet like some like I bet it was a female stuff. But like the female Indians would go out and like oh I'm sure gather antlers. Yeah, well they needed them, right? They needed so I'm saying, them. tools. Well, that's where you know completely different from like these ones. So here's the Minnesota Mar Monarch, which is the current non-typical world record shed. The right side, just the right side, scores an even 180. What? <laughs> 180. The left side scores 139 and a half. You got the a picture? Estimated non-typical would have been 334. Oh, wow. We'll put this is that, link is that a, Is that a Klaus replica? Yes. Klaus uh, is, coincidentally... This is, I, I think he's the... We, I think he's we the should probably, We need to get you connected with we him. Should, he's a really good We dude. should probably have a conversation where we bring TJ and maybe Dwayne in and, and Klaus. Yeah. Klaus Lebricht. Yeah, Lebricht. Lebricht. But yeah, I mean, multiple 300 inchers. All of these all of these are, Antlers by Klaus has all of them. You don't hear about those anymore. Like, where are these 300 inchers? Klaus, are you holding out on us? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I mean, it, it definitely seems like, you know, over the last 50, 60 years, like people have been finding big antlers. Now, I assume since the, especially since the mid-2000s, like, if somebody finds a big antler, we probably all know about it or hear about it, right? Because it makes social media or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, I have to believe there's still plenty of old farmers in Iowa, Illinois, Kansas that find big sheds and just, you know, either don't pick them up or throw them in a barn. Probably don't have the internet. I would assume so. Sounds funny, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of people out there that don't have internet. Mm. Speaking of which, I heard rumors, uh, not rumors, I didn't get to see the picture yet, but... Um, they have pictures of what's appearing to be like a 230 
on the public land, the Boone Forest next to my new Kentucky place. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Giant. Giant, non-typical, double drops. Jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, they monsters exist. Yeah. You know? They do. They do. I think that's... So, TJ, when you talk about, like, the shed season brand for you guys, I mean, I I don't think Dwayne was telling us, like, it's more of a community that you guys are building, right? 100%. 100%. It's community, and that's what I was saying. We didn't want to tie it to Rack Hub. That's why it's gotcha. it's separate. It's its own entity. Um, so for we'll for the folks, uh, we'll say consumers, I guess, or uh, us hunters and non-hunters, I guess, it's more that community, just a reason to get outside uh, together. You can document it if you're on social. You can tag us. Um, and then we we just have swag. So it's not really tied to rack up tied yep. to products. It's just, you can rep swag. You can have your own, doesn't matter. Um, but it's just out there having fun during that season. And then from a business standpoint, uh, with our partners, cause we're, we got, I think seven locked in of 20 positions right now. Okay. So for business, you know, everybody in the hunting industry pushes hard Q3 and four right. hard. That's just when most of the business is done, especially for whitetails. Sure. Um, so Q1, it's kind of crickets most of the time. Yeah. So for us, we're doing it anyway, right? For rack up, for yep. shed season, Q1 is pretty decent for us. We're doing it anyway. So we're like, well, let's lump in some businesses here and give them exposure. We're out here doing it anyway. So we offer this year 20 spots. We got Booner, the top sponsor, which has some stuff associated with it. What we'll give um, as far as... Um, posting and emails and yep. I, I can pull it up, but then we have Swayback and then Four Corn sponsorships. So from a business standpoint, we can advertise for them. We can push products. We can have backlinks, you know, tie in UTM links if we need to, too, so they can track it. We can see what kind of uh, traffic we're generating. So it's exciting from a business standpoint, but we've constrained shed season to only antler related brands and products on gotcha. purpose because otherwise we're just yeah, another another plug-in community where you get discounts to everything that revolves around it. And we don't want to be that. We So we have been very intentional on it's only antlers, you know, but all antlers. Sure. Because all of them matter. Yep. But only antler-related products and brands can all be All antlers matter. We got that. All antlers matter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Need that shirt whipped up. Yeah. There you go. But um, anyway, it's exciting from a business standpoint as well to be able to support uh, a lot of these companies out here. Well, I think know, it, it support antlers. It becomes cool. I mean, look at the discussion that we just had, you know, here in the last whatever 20 minutes. And, you know, uh, again, uh, you know, each of us probably knows or has a, a thumb on the pulse of what's happening, deer hunting related, deer being killed, sheds being found in our respective areas. You know, and so when you bring a community together, it's kind of like, well, you know, we've got a guy in Kansas that is like ate up with shed hunting, you know, has got thousands of them in his in his metal barn um you know and so he keeps very much the thumb on the pulse for us out there of what's being found and and you know part of that is how we've kind of come to lean towards you know that area of kansas decreasing in quality of deer recently um because he you know he's got years and years of data on the ground it's pretty yeah it's pretty telling yeah and and you know when he says he's got a whopper like i mean we're talking you know a a 75 plus inch shed and you know normally he's finding 10 to 15 of those a year last couple years he's finding two to three 
you know, but he's still finding a hundred plus sheds a year. Like the, the number of sheds hasn't decreased. The quality of them has decreased, you know? And so again, people look at it and like, yeah, yeah, it's cool to find a shed. Like these things are very, very detailed data points, whether it's a particular buck and where he's at, or in the case of what we just said with Kansas, like a very clear trend of where that quality of, of antler quality is going. Um, you know, and so I, I think that people sometimes just, you know, it's cool if they find a shed, but I think why it's becoming more popular is because of how integral it is to either tracking the history and story of a buck or understanding just what's happening in a specific area overall. Um, so, and, and that, you know, what's interesting to me looking at those top 10 bucks, none of those deer are recent, Right. Uh-huh. None of those giants are recent. So it's like how with how big the deer hunting industry is and how important management is and how much I would say more people care about killing big bucks. We're not producing any giants anymore, at least per that top 10 right there. Hmm. Should well, that be, should that be concerning to people? I, my belief is, um, you know, a lot of those are tight lipped or the SEO isn't tidy. So yeah. you're just not going to find it. Just you got to be, find it. you got to be at the show or at the auction or at your buddies that has it mm-hmm. to see it and know, which that exclusivity that, you know, these monsters, if you will, known they're out there, but you don't get to see it. And when you do, it's rare. Like that also makes it fun. But that's my belief. Cause I know just from going to like Iowa deer classic, for example, yep. when we go to that consumer show, they have the big buck contest yep. and they got the shoulder mounts, the kills, and then the sheds. And I mean, I know there's, you know, 200 inch quality deer sheds laying there yep. on display. So that would contend with some of those that you just read. So off. they still exist. So I think it's just, I think it's just hush hush. Yeah. I think. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. There is a rise in hunting. So maybe there's less volume of the big boys because mm-hmm. of all the, variations you guys have talked about on previous episodes we need don't need to get into that but i think they're still out there maybe just less of them that's one i know we we would love to get you've never been right to iowa deer classic no that's one we'd love to get out to maybe next year yeah to march this year i think see march is tough for me yeah Mm -hmm. it's always march yep it's a short show though but yeah next year because we're gonna draw that's what i'm saying yeah just a little there you go little uh hype We'll hype up before them, but yeah, we got, we know enough people out there. <laughs> well, dude, if we can transition quickly yes. here, uh, I know your time is valuable to you out of maybe sheds just a little bit. And, uh, you know, TJ, do you want to share with us or, or c- what can you share with us in regards to, uh, some of the companies you're involved with? I know recently I found out about two of them and I was like, you, you design these like that's, you know, badass. um, feel free yeah. to like toot your own horn and you know, this, this company that you've started here. Please let us know what you're, what you got your hands in. Yeah, I, I will, Jared. I appreciate that. I just to conclude shed season real quick. So we've talked all about shed hunting community. Then um, from the what's coming standpoint, we're starting shed season February 14th. And Valentine's it'll run through Day? April. All yep, right. Valentine's Day. So we remember it. Us dudes can get excited about it. We won't forget <laughs> Valentine's Day. We'll remember all those details there that are very go. important. Helpful. Yes. But we're running four massive giveaways. Last year we did 10. It was way too many. We're doing four. So we have two week spacings in between so we can advertise leading up to. We're going to be showing um, 
all of the product that you can win, like tangible, have it here in house, hold it up, show instead of just a Photoshop PNG. We'll announce the winners. Um, what do you got? What What are some of the big ones? Uh, are you still, got, still pulling it together? Well, we're pulling it together. We definitely got, well, Spartan Forge is going to be a part of it um, from a mapping standpoint. Uh, we've talked mm -hmm. with Nate from HuntWise. They might be involved as well. Mm -hmm. Talked with Hilliard from First Light. They're involved last year, probably going to be involved again. And then we have a lot of um, other companies as well, but we're piecing it all together. There's going to be, you know, last year's worth over 10 grand with all the giveaways. It'll be, it'll be big. And um, we're, you know, everybody can affiliate with a community from in their own right. Like, for example, we got the swag. Some people like to have latest and greatest yep. wear the stuff. This is a fun one, Brad designed. So this will be launched kind of going back to that nineties look. Um, and we hired three designers um, pretty young in their career within our space to give them exposure. So we got uh, Westgate branding. We've got Sturgeon design and we got Hugel. Some of them are more established than others, but paid them a little bit. And then they're going to make commissions on all the apparel sold, sold during. So it can help gain exposure for them, plug into the industry more so, get them some money in their pocket. Um, so that's a fun thing we're doing from a design, graphic design standpoint. Then we're going to have um, score sheets. You know, it's hard. You can go get a Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett, but it's got all the literature and stuff. A lot of us guys just like to write down the basics on a notepad and that's it. So we got score sheets we're pushing out if that's your thing we got tape measures to measure antlers nice uh, uh we you know got what dude i subscription stuff we've hey, got i like, used one of your tapes on this the other day i didn't i didn't even think about it. in fact i have it in my bag i'm pretty sure i think i take it everywhere with me perfect yeah you never leave home without it right yeah, yeah i think i have yeah. mine that's where i take on all our trips for potential scoring opportunities yeah if you, if you run out just let me know. Or I'll we got, we're bringing them to days. I was going to say, we'll get stuff we'll get, your pockets full. Yeah, Jared will take a handful with that missing finger and I'll catch them when they run out. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess to sum it up for shed season, we got two months of awesomeness. So people can tag us and we'll be pushing out shed stories, the YouTube stuff, um, subscriber benefits, stuff for sale, plug in to get discounts to antler related brands. Cool. There's so much there. So just be sure to turn, tune in, follow along shedseason.com and at shed season. So super simple, but um, back to what, any questions on that guys, but I'd love to get into no, the other brands. No, no, I okay. keep rolling. Perfect. So Eads design is the design consulting company that um, I started. And then I got a couple other folks that, that work with me hiring one full-time here soon. So that's exciting. But anyway, we've been fortunate to work with a lot of, awesome brands in the industry with great people. So Novix, like I mentioned, was the first one. They've been great still working with them. We're, they're one of the, our biggest clients. Uh, work with Trophy Line. So we do the hard good designs for all the Trophy Line platforms and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, another one would be Dialed Archery. So Dialed hired us to do design work. Um, and I've had a relationship with Taylor Coleman for years now. Yeah. So they started that and hired us and it was amazing crazy joy ride and we got kyle from dca custom arrows looped in he's a boss engineer he owns his own um custom arrow building company with um he just launched his, these super saber veins that are blown up mm. and he he's got a lot of other stuff going he's a crazy uh talented smart engineer so it again back to all the people we got uh and i get to work with new brands so there's one like hype um you're going to be hearing more about that we're working on stuff for them 
I uh, started Half Rack again with two other gentlemen in the industry. So we're doing a ton of stuff with that. We're launching new products at ATA. So follow along with Half Rack. I'd have to look at the list for more, but that's Damn, what dude. I can remember off the top of my head. Heck so that's yeah, all last couple of years, I'd say. That's You've been balling. busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's job security, right? Well, it's got to be cool, man, for your ability to... Um you know, as kind of that consultant side, be able to dive into different brands. It's like what I do with the marketing angle. You know, you, you become sharper by working in different parts of the industry. You know, you're able to think outside the box and it's no knock to the people that kind of have, you know, work for a single brand, but man, you, you, it's inevitable that you get the blinders put on, right? When you work at the yep. same brand or same set of products every day, every day, every day, you know, the blinders get put on. So when you bring somebody in from an outside perspective to come in and, you know, provide input or suggestions or advice, you know, they're wow. coming in with a whole different perspective from right field. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's, you know, a big change. You know what, too? Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest, uh, you know, think, you know, when you, when you like essentially perfect a product or a brand or it like reaches it, it's just like it, it's maximum potential and it's a premium and you've been there too long and you don't have other you know brands or projects that you're working on that are in earlier phases i think it's hard not to get cocky i think i think we find yeah. we re, we've run into quite a few people you know and i won't name any specific companies but they're you know top of the line premium and, and you know you could say they've got every right to be you know it's, it's the best product out there but dude, it's hard not to get cocky where it's like man this is we make the best stuff and I, I have a lot more appreciation for somebody who is willing to come back down and start with like a, you know, uh, a bare bones company, you know, somebody who's, who's maybe not quite there, um, you know, cause that's how you continue to grow personally. You keep yourself humble, you know, and, and you're always growing there. So I admire that about yeah, you, TJ. No, I appreciate it. I, the only reason I'm here is from all the people I've met and all the connections and them giving us a chance. And, uh, you know, I may, may save the final file of what this thing looks like. Um, but really it's built from the team. They've got all, when we plug in to do product design or packaging, branding, whatever for a company, they've got all the wisdom. They've got years of research, years of knowledge. So we plug in and we work together to develop, solve their problem. You know, it's all problem solutions. So to help solve their problem and, Every time, every single design I've ever worked on in my life, doesn't matter what product it is, there's been other people's influence. So I've been around a ton of, you know, pinky up designers um, and that's fine and great. But, man, you can get a lot done if you utilize the team at hand. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the, the team you're plugging into. So that's what I say when I'm talking about all those clients that I'm fortunate enough to work with. Um, and the team that we have behind the scenes, sorry for this bouncing thing. You're I just good. noticed that, but the team behind the scenes, it's, man, that's the only reason we can, we call it being dangerous, continuing yeah. to learn, oh, yeah. broaden, broaden our skill sets, not just be good at this one sure. thing, but we like to be dangerous, try and be good at a lot of things and continue learning. We just got into, we've noticed a big trend with all these animations, um, you know, animating the product, spinning around, exploding tying that into maybe some lifestyle when you're launching a new thing and it's real expensive. We've gotten quotes to do that. Um, so we're just learning it on our own and, you know, AJ, um, he's super talented. We're looking, um, to get into that more so. And he, we held him off in December 
and he from doing product design work and he just learned a program and crushed it. We did a sample little test run posted on YouTube for um, the Novix Hilo yeah. and he crushed it. And that was his first go. So we're constantly trying to apply new skills, new things that'll help help these folks. You know, we all have dreams and aspirations. We all are trying to grow businesses. So that's one thing we observed way back when is in the hunting industry, outdoor industry, there's a lot of engineers that are full-time, but I never once, I shouldn't say never, but there's hardly ever a designer that's on staff for these companies. Mm. You know, these companies are million to 10 million type dollar companies and they just don't need a designer full staff. So we're able to plug in and do what, you know, the work they need done. Maybe they only need it done this year and we're good for two and we'll see you later and that's fine. So very fortunate, very blessed. And thanks for the compliment, Jared. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, dude, you mentioned Taylor Coleman and this, this dialed company, these new sites that, uh, you know, I think people have been seeing now for a while. Uh, those guys, and if you're involved with it, have done a great job with uh, the marketing push to get these things launched. And uh, we haven't unboxed this one yet. I unboxed one at home, so I know what they look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but cool to know that you had a, a major hand in, in designing this thing. And, you know, we're going to have these things on the bows uh, probably within the next couple of weeks. And maybe we'll save some of that for, for Taylor to... Yeah. yeah, to talk on. So Taylor's going to be on the podcast maybe next week or or the following week. Um, but we're excited to you know learn more about these sites and to 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 have those on the bows. So yeah, very cool. Yeah, they're a talented group of folks do awesome work. So that'll be I'll be excited to listen to that one. But yeah, there's a lot going on with Dialed. A lot of stuff we're working on there too. So that'll be exciting. We'll see what he's able to disclose for you guys. But um, yeah, it's good people, man. Good people. Awesome. Well, cool, man. That's, I think, a wrap. We've been we've been stretching them out today. So, uh, yeah. TJ, appreciate you joining us. Uh, you've got your hands in a lot of stuff. Uh, it's impressive, and I think everybody should aspire to be as busy as you are. And uh, well, I would say, man, if if anybody is listening to this, the shed season's kicking out off. Obviously, they can check out you know the at shed season or shed season website. Um, but also, I would say, you know, if you are lucky enough to find something that you're really excited about uh they need to buy a rack up i mean because yeah. you know from well, dude, a display if you, if standpoint you care about, if you care about antlers at all you'll you'll want them to be you know out for the world to to see the hunter podcast is brought to you by hoyt archery dude where would we be without our hoyt bows probably shooting crossbows <laughs> or, or a matthews yeah. <laughs> one in the same yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, th- th- especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I-, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for, for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea fork of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr- proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. And awesome. TJ. There he was. There he is. <laughs> and it's funny when you talk about the sheds, man. The more you get into it, the more, like, you know, I'm excited for shed hunting. Uh, I, I like just being in the woods at that time. And I think it, it it's probably because we're not in like <clears throat> primo shed areas that if I find a shed, it's a big benefit. Um, you know, but ultimately 
I don't think I ever walk into the woods unless we're in like Kansas and stuff thinking I'm going to find a shed because yeah. I just don't. <laughs> it, 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 you know, you got to have the food source. Yeah. You know? And that's probably it. Most of my properties are lacklustering food right now in the late season. They're just mowed. Yeah. I've got a few bucks hanging around in Ohio and Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I trip on one there, but I don't. <laughs> They're all gone. Are they? <laughs> Yeah, they're they're gone, or I've just let the cameras die in areas where they m- might have been, or yeah, lost track. I think you just you're in an area where there's so much food that it's just almost overwhelming to where they could be. They'll be around. There's a, there's a few spots where I'll I'll probably go and poke around and um yeah, but yeah, shortly thereafter you know, oh, it'll dude, roll into you get like a fifty or fifty five degree February day, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna I'll go be stretch them. Curious to find, not that I think they're necessarily laying out there, but we're gonna burn off like fifteen or twenty acres. I wonder if we'll find good any chance. In there. Good chance. Yeah, I remember. Um, God, Carter was probably three, so it's probably the year we left. So I want to say spring of twenty fifteen or sixteen. We went out to, we were living in Missouri, and so I took, I was like, ah, car, it was a nice day in March or something. I was like, let's go shed hunt. We just so happened, we lucked out, like, they had just burned an area on a, like, a public land piece out there. And, like, we walked, like, 100 yards. I'm like, holy shit. I was like, hey, look at that. There's a shed. Go pick it up. I was like, oh, there's a shed. <laughs> we ended up finding, like, 10 in, like, an hour. I remember that. Including one pretty substantial, like, 60s, mm. low 60s. Um Wow. And it was just because, you know, you would have never seen them, but they had burned that area off and they were just, there they all Crazy were. the firemen aren't, you know, picking up. I think that it. it's because they're burning such a big area. They're lighting it and then they're moving to the other side and, yeah. you know, they're not walking through it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, she I'm was ex- still steaming. I'm hop excited. Off, I'm excited for the burn. Steamy. We're, we're getting kind of the final preparations here. I think we're going to buy two gas-powered uh, blowers. Blowers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll bring my little lithium guy. I have one of those that's just going to die pretty soon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> Thank you for the sound effects. Uh, we've got all the brakes in. You know, yeah. we're, we're basically ready yeah, to go. Yeah. I just need the, the right conditions and to, to get everybody on the same page, and it mm-hmm. should be pretty easy. There you go. Probably just do backing burns for most of it. None of it's real big stuff. Yeah, I I would set a back burn, get a good back burn going, and then go up and light the head and just <laughs> let yeah. her eat. Did your desk ever come? Negative. Did you cancel the order? I just didn't pay anything. <laughs> Yeah. Were you supposed to? No. So it's still on order. I guess. Okay. Yeah. I'd consider it for um, this new tractor I'm getting. What'd you get? Uh, Kubota 4701. And so, what'd you sell? Uh, Two. I sold that two-wheel one I got with the Ohio farm. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm trading that in uh, towards it, and I'm selling my uh, 2501. Okay. Which I loved was a um, how, how amazing. Big is the one you got is that forty seven horse. I don't know anything about tractors. Yeah, forty seven horse. Okay, so bigger. What's my dad's like a one ten? No, no. I bet your dad's a seventy some. Okay, yeah. See, yeah, that's what I know. So smaller, but big enough to handle that no till, yeah. which is the main reason I'm up in. Plus, I don't need two tractors. Yeah, and I'd keep the other one if it was four wheel, but it's not. So yeah. it's effectively worthless for me yep so we'll get that uh in fact i'm gonna try to get that paperwork done here this week and um yeah so i'll be ready to go and then i gotta buy that drill and yeah 
I got a lot of work ahead of me. Start playing. I don't even know. A lot know of where expenses. It sounds like. <laughs> yes, a lot of expenses. Unfortunately, yeah. And the pipe burst in Kentucky, so my house was flooded. So yeah, yeah. No, Sucks. no bueno there. Um, so I gotta you ever get a hold of that. the water company. No, they never called me back. Never called you. At least they shut it off. I don't. Yeah, know. I know. I'm I'm happy they shut it off. So now now I'm going today. through like all the. Uh, water remediation. Then I've got flooring company coming in, and then I got to rip out the kitchen. Dude, yeah. everybody I know basically has had a pipe burst in their house. She, it was don't fun. ever buy a house. Homeownership's yeah, overrated. Sucks, man. They uh, they said that they had like twenty five like of the exact same pieces of like where mine blew. Mm. You know, it's just inevitable. The house is. I mean, it's kind of the south, but they're just not built for negative thirty wind chills. Yeah, for like two days. Yeah, yeah it's just so too many much. people I knew like the week of that like negative whatever their pipes were like all yep. fucked up. Yeah, if if it, like I had the heat on, it's cabin right. So I had the, but I had the heat on because we're there all the time. If I would have had like been there and like been running water and stuff, it probably would have been fine. Like that water moving would have been all right, but it just stayed, you know. And it was basically the, where the eave of the house came up. That pipe was in the wall, had a ninety degree angle, and so that eave was probably leaking cold right into where that pipe was and. If she blows. She'll get you. So I got some work cut out for me there, but um, yeah, no, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm excited to kind of get into the next phase of our podcast, which will probably bring some Habitat guys back in. Um, I'm gonna be doing some uh, switchgrass planting, so on that new Kentucky farm. Are you getting getting ready to do uh, some? I'd corn. like to come down if you got a chance to do a little shed hunt on maybe the new Kentucky place. Yeah, we won't find any sheds. There's like no deer. Oh there, really? But, okay. So, I mean, there's no winter food. So, I mean, I've got a few, bu- I've got several bucks on camera, but there's just no winter food. Although I did get one of those, uh, spaceship, uh, sized boss buck feeders. Yeah. And one of those will go on pounds, you said? Giant. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna put one of those in Ohio and Kentucky. Be interesting um, to see how that works. I mean, I mean like how they use it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Cause it's just gravity with, uh, I think four, four heads on it for, yeah. Peter heads. So, yeah, I mean, that's just late season. And then, you know, I, I won't feed again until July or August on that thing, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, but we're getting going to, uh, I've just got a lot of work on that property. Just again, first things first, just put food in and see what the hell happens, you know? And I've got a better idea of what I want to do in Ohio this year, but, um, yeah, I'm just excited to kind of wrap the season and work towards next year, you know, and learn from learn from this year and what makes it better and yeah. Yeah, kind of a fresh start here. It seems like right at the at the new new year that marks like essentially the end of deer season. You got to take it one way or the other. It's either depressing or you got to get ready to just jump right into the next year. It's both. It's a little bit of like, okay. Yeah. It's only depressing because it's like, man, I've kind of like I have no routine, no schedule. Like I my, you know. Yeah. You know, the, the season's unraveled. It's over. So yeah. it's just, you know. feel like it goes fast, man. It does. You know, I feel it like in October, go back and it can rewind. It's like, man, we have so much time. Well, this is amazing. We love everything. And now it's like, Bleh. Sitting at this table helps gives it structure, I think. Gives it some perspective. Sure. The fact that we have sat here mm-hmm. every week, essentially, talking, you know, through yeah. it helps. Well, and that's, helps. Uh, you know, I think, you know, as we kind of get back from ATA and everything, the next few weeks we'll start transition more into the habitat and what we're going to do with properties and probably still talking shed hunting and yeah you know just uh get back in it man keep cranking awesome so we will catch you next week
Later. It take me oh.